0: We've got so much news to talk about, threads, the state of investing with someone who actually spends the money, and chaos in the ad tech ecosystem. My conversation with one of the best investors in the world coming up right after this.
1: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents.
0: Welcome to Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. Zach Colias is our guest today. He's the managing partner at Coleus Capital. He is the friend of the podcast we've had him on in the past. Last time he told us he'd lost money on just one investment that he had made. Well, we're going to get an update on that and plenty more today. But first, we're going to talk about threads. Zach, welcome to the show.
2: Yeah, great to be back. Great to see you again. Great to see you too.
0: Always a pleasure. Likewise. So are you on Thread? You are on Threads. I found your account.
2: Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's Z Coleus or Zach Coleus. I'm, you know, uh, I'm not used to promoting myself on... uh, (laughs) Mark Zuckerberg uh, property. uh, Zuckerberg property. So um, what what, what, do we got here? Let's look it up because, you know, got to get that out there.
0: As you look it up. I want to definitely start with something that you said on threads, which I thought was pretty uh, insightful and actually kind of picks up on what we were talking about uh, last week with Alex Heath on, on the show. You wrote, uh, I wonder how much this app cannibalizes Facebook blue versus Twitter. It seems like it will be a material amount. So basically your thought is that, look, this is going to take energy away from flagship Facebook. I think it will take energy away from Instagram almost or as much or as much as it will take energy away from Twitter. Now I'm actually even more convinced that it's going to take energy away from Twitter. The thing is booming. I mean, a hundred million users as of Monday, we're recording this Monday, who knows it'll be, what it'll be on Wednesday morning when we publish. Zach, what do you think?
2: Yeah. I mean, I so I think there's a couple parts there. Um, one, the hundred million thing, you know, everyone is is excited about it and they're talking about it, but I think we have to be careful because like, Facebook could create a hundred million users on you know a poop app, like if they wanted to. If they were okay. like, if they were like, "What's we want to make this big?" They could they could basically because of their control of such a gigantic user base, they could move those people onto anything. So the question is, is how much of this is is viral, organic, natural? People are excited; they're telling other people. It's the movement of people to value in the product, and how much of this is just distribution. And we don't know, right? I have no idea. Um, but I, I, I take the $100 million with a grain of salt when it comes to it being a Facebook property.
0: Now, okay, so, I'll take it a grain of salt also, what Zuckerberg said, which is that they've done very little outside promotion. It's been mostly organic. So, okay, we're taking it. We also know he has personal animus with Elon Musk. So that's an important factor to consider. But that's it. Yeah, here's the counterpoint, yeah. right? Which is that Facebook has tried to create lots of standalone apps in the past, Many of them have failed It tried basically a, a direct Snapchat competitor and that didn't go anywhere. It had an app called threads in the past, which was a direct message app and that didn't yeah. work. So yeah. like this, something is obviously working when you're yes, in the yes. app, you feel there is an energy there.
2: Yeah. No, 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 no questions. I just, I always like to like to, it's easy to basically look at a headline number and then just assume, assume things. And mm-hmm. I think, You know, as we've learned in the past, um, those assumptions are not always correct. I think the other thing that I'm I'm particularly interested in is like, you know, remember the early days of Clubhouse and how unbelievably amazing it was and how the community was just like, just astonishingly good. And then very, very quickly... Basically, the grifters, the information entrepreneurs, the people who are hacking human biases, the angry political voices came in and they destroyed that community. And so I think what's what's interesting is how long will the magic that is threads right now? Like when I open threads, I don't see a lot of that garbage. Like I'm seeing Mm -hmm. my friends and I'm seeing interesting things and like it's valuable. There's not a lot of garbage in it. what happens when um, those those folks show up en masse and start start polluting the waters? Um, I don't know. I'm 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 very I'll be very interested to see how it all plays out.
0: So thinking it through, like the argument with threads would be that threads was I'm sorry, the argument with space, uh, clubhouse was that it was really a feature, right? This wasn't a standalone app, right? This was something that might exist within a Twitter. But now you have Threads, that's a proven format, right? It's a text-based app like Twitter. Uh, <laughs> the thing is, though... I mean, I'm not a consumer
2: yep. pro. Like, I don't invest in consumer, really. So, like, you know, take this with a fistful of salt. Like, I'm not claiming to be an expert here. But, like, I, I think if Clubhouse could have maintained the magic that was the early days, that's not a feature. That's magic. That's mm-hmm. That's that's a special thing that that, like at the end of the day, I think what, I think the thing that the mistake that a lot of people made, including all the investors who dumped a shitload of money into it was that they thought the magic that was clubhouse was a function of the product that had been built. And what instead that magic was the very careful audience curation that happened in the beginning. And that's what made it magical and threads is magical, right? Well, I don't know if it's magical. It's not clubhouse magical, but it was like, it's, it's be, It's it not energy. polluted yet. So, like, the question is: is is that lack of pollution is that sustainable, uh, or is it going to go away? And I, I don't know. And there's, I think, there's interesting questions around if if there's algorithmic sort of tools that Facebook has developed to help keep it from becoming polluted. That which makes sense. Like right? with AI now, you can do some really interesting stuff that you didn't used to be able to do before. It would make sense to me that Threads is basically largely build a next generation AI for filtering the feed that works. Um, But I don't know.
0: Yeah, I would assume the same thing as well. And one of the things that we saw in the early days of Clubhouse was that in any new social app, now people understand that there's kind of a land, land grab for audience at the beginning, which is why you would end up getting, you know, so many interesting people showing up at Clubhouse because, you know, they wanted to see what the experience was and they liked the experience, but also they were like, wait, I go on one of these, you know, conversations are one of these live clubhouses. uh, And next thing I know, I have 10,000 followers on this. And Mm -hmm. what's that worth? And -hmm. it seems like the same thing is happening on threads where it's like, oh, there are large audiences up for grabs. So people are investing more than they necessarily should just to see if they can build that audience in the land grab. And I think you're totally right, Zach. The real question is what happens once, you know, that land grab starts to peter out and people say, is the audience that I have here worth the energy that I'm putting into versus the audience that I have on Twitter and LinkedIn or wherever it is.
2: Yeah. Like, I mean, so like, for instance, on LinkedIn, I have 140,000 followers on LinkedIn. Like, you know, theoretically that makes me a big shot in reality. eh, It's not really all that impactful. And my Twitter following is, you know, a fifth of that. And it's substantially more impactful in terms of like, The value that i get out of it um and so we'll see what happens with threads i i assume what will happen is it's just it just it just further dilutes the audiences across all the different platforms and further segments them and so the value of threads will not be anywhere near as valuable as twitter because that's my my guess um but We'll
0: see. Yeah, I didn't want to end this conversation or this side of the conversation without talking about that original thread that you posted, which is that you said basically that there's going to be cannibalization that will happen to Facebook properties. And you look at it and by the way, I don't know if you've had this experience, but every time I open threads it's an image or video. Mm-hmm. And every time I open Instagram it's the same thing. So I mean, what am do me we try sense. now?
2: They're, they're compelling. Yeah, I mean, obviously with Instagram it's just images. Let's let's see what the I mean, look, I moved it from the back of my apps to the the front of my apps. Um, uh,
0: oh, actually, I have a, a text post at the top and then a link. So maybe this is not completely holding up. Yeah, I got I one from
2: three hours ago that's, oh, it's a long text thing with an image. And then the next one is an image uh, that looks very Instagram-y.
0: Right. Um, that's the theory here is that it's just going to look more and more like Instagram and then does it sort of dilute the growth of Instagram? I mean, we spoke about it on Friday, but I'm curious what you think about it. Because you, you pointed that out right away as soon as you got on the app.
1: Oh,
2: uh, well, yeah. I think there's, there's the, 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 the question I have, and I'm not an expert at this, and my friends who work at these big companies are a thousand times smarter than I am, is when you have sort of like large scale, like when you're, you're really big, does the incremental cannibalization have larger than incremental consequences to the network effects of the the property? So like does losing 10% of Facebook equal just 10% Facebook's 10% smaller and threads is 10% bigger. And it's just like, it's just moving the the sort of chairs around or is 10% actually have a 15, 20, 30% impact because of the lowered Subsequent engagement for everybody and the lower value of the property because you've got, you know, 10% of 10% gone. So now it's just starts to shrink as a result, the product becomes less useful. Um, I mean, I think I we all noticed that with Facebook blue, when they made the algorithm changes to allow politics and news, and then it became this crazy fucking <laughs> fucking Republican uncle thing. And then everyone like, was like, fuck this. And everyone left. And now my feed is a fraction of as interesting on Facebook Blue as it used to be, you know, before they started to do that. Um, you know, everyone moved to Twitter and Instagram. So I don't know, maybe I don't, it's an interesting question. They have the data. I don't.
0: Right. And it does seem, you know, it's like that ten, if you lose 10% and you lose greater uh, than that 10% on your network, it seems like Twitter is probably the most risk of, of that happening to it here.
2: Yeah. I think, I think, I think this is, this is a direct blow to Twitter and it will be, I mean, the thing is is that even if it only carves off a portion of the Twitter audience and Twitter keeps a bunch of these other, like, I'm assuming they're going to keep the sort of right wing folks will stay on Twitter. Um, I'm assuming the, you know, there'll be like certain groups that will stay on Twitter, but if they carve off a portion of that, then, you know, then it's same, the same question. It's like, does 10% equal a more than 10% decline in the value? And for Twitter, I think, yes. Like, if, if, if the interesting tech people gravitate over to threads, and that's where they all go, I think Twitter's going to see a pretty significant hit from that.
0: Monetization. So Facebook can make $40 per person on mm-hmm. its platform. Snapchat makes $13 in a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Twitter's always struggled. I mean, we both come from the ad world, so we know what what the story is. You need to have performance advertising, basically ads that compute to sales. And Twitter has always struggled to do that because its ad system has just been inferior. while Facebook's ad system has been much better in terms of optimization. Now, Mark Zuckerberg has said, okay, we're not going to turn on monetization until we're on the path to a billion users. I've heard from folks... That And this isn't, I don't really want to get too deep into the sourcing, but take this for what it's worth, that we could potentially see something like in Q4, that's when people are expecting it because that's when, you know, it's holiday season, advertisers are expecting, you know, or need places to put their money. And, you know, Facebook can now say we're a hundred million users in, there'll probably be 200 million users in at that point. It's time to turn this on. I mean, they could make a serious... amount. So Twitter, in its best year in 2021, made $5 billion. With Facebook's ad tooling and a similar user number, I mean, could you see four times that much?
2: I mean, let's see why not. Um, At the end of the day, this is exactly what Facebook is very, very good at monetizing, which is, you know, feed-based attention modality. And they've got the advertisers, they've got the ad formats. They, I mean, it's 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 a one-for-one one replacement for, you know, advertising on blue for sure, like identical, effectively, and um, you know, very similar to a lot of Instagram elements. So I don't think they would have any problem making comparable revenues. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to remember these businesses; they 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 are very strategic about when they want to utilize revenue opportunities like this to fill holes in other parts of the business. So Mm -hmm. if, uh, you know, if they were still, if they're strong right now, which I don't know if they are, obviously they've gone through some really struggles since um, ATT. But if they're, if they're feeling strong, they want to hold this back to have it as, you know, um, uh, a lever they can turn when they need it. Um, when something else comes short and they can turn this lever to, to fill a hole. Uh, they're not feeling as strong, they'll monetize sooner. I don't know. I'm not, I, don't have, I have no inside information.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. And of course, Twitter just hires Linda Yacarino who comes from NBC and is trying her whole thing is I'm going to convince advertisers that this is a place where they can feel comfortable spending their money. And yeah. meanwhile, Elon is challenging Mark Zuckerberg to a quote, literal dick measuring contest. And someone goes, at Linda Yakarino, can you please help? And I'm like looking at that. I'm like, no, she can't. Like, she's not going to be able to. It's almost like, you know, so I think Aaron Levy, who's going to come on the show in a couple of weeks, he put up the list of all the mistakes that Elon's made. And it's like, this does seem to be the exact list of things that you'd want to do if you were like literally trying to destroy the platform you just bought. Uh, but push back on me. Yeah, I'm curious what you think. I mean, look,
2: I... I generally have felt like there's like the the social media by definition creates this weird echo chamber feedback loop that causes humans to lose their goddamn minds, so right. like with Trump, we saw that like we'd see that over and over again, and I think with Elon that's happening right like mm-hmm. I think in most circumstances. If we knew all the details of what was happening inside these companies and we paid as close of attention as we do as we do to Elon and Trump, we would think the same things we think about Elon, regardless of the companies are succeeding or failing. I just think that like the incentives are for the individuals as an axe to grind to push information out and the individuals who have good information you know, they don't really have the same incentive to like go out there and try to spread the word that things are actually good. And so you end up with a whole bunch of fucking losers spreading a whole bunch of crap to make the world seem horrible. And mm-hmm. so, and then the feedback loop is depressed. The just they eat that shit up. They love it. They're just suckers for it. And so like all, any individual with an ax to grind, they, they like, they they spread that shit. And at I think it just leads to this really nasty feedback loop. And then the audience becomes very, very sort of convinced that that's the reality. Like, like for instance, like you, you and I know, like when you think about ad tech, right? Like when we read what the press writes about ad tech, it's just like, it's hot garbage. It's total garbage. They have no idea what they're talking about. They don't understand it. Technically they don't understand it. They don't even understand the most basic concepts. Like they're just fucking. really embarrassing. That's true. It's embarrassing. And, and so then you're like, you're like, okay, this is like, these people are fucking stupid. And then you're like, you have to remember, okay, we know this is true for this. What level of relative insight do we think they have for everything else they write about? And the reality is probably not very much because they have to cover everything, right? Their job is to literally write about everything and to become experts in everything, which nobody is. And so then then you have to just assume that they're effectively playing to the their incentives. And their incentives are to get clicks. And the things that are that get clicks are outrage and 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 playing into the human psyche and biases. And so 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 therefore, to bring this all back, I think Elon has got a lot of bad press because mm-hmm. everyone loves to hate on the guy. I think he also enjoys playing into that. I don't know why, but he does, it seems. But I, I, if, I had to, if I had to underwrite the whole thing, put money on it, I think the, the, the perception of Elon versus a reality is very far apart, almost by definition, I'm sure. And I bet you the perception is skewed dramatically worse than the reality is. And I think that then I think we'll be surprised. I, I'm not I don't I'm not I don't have enough information to know if what's going to happen. But like, I think on average, people are usually pers- are surprised in these instances when things work out better than they thought they, thought they would.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, now I'm going to say my thing because you know, I I think that first of all with I don't want to spend the whole podcast talking about this. We have so much good stuff to get to, but, but I feel like should, we should we should at least like take a moment to talk about it. So, first of all, I think that that yes, like when you work in an industry and you read press reports about it almost all the time, you're rolling your eyes. And I yeah. think that's that's certainly bad and true. I think that there are some reporters that are good and they And we know them from in, in the ad tech world. And I think when people yeah. specialize, then they can actually get stuff right as opposed to, but what we're talking, what we were talking about in this past bit of conversation, which is like, you have like, and I'm not going to, well, I'm going to pick on The Guardian. Like you'll have like a, a journalist from The Guardian who tries to explain like real-time bidding and like talks about how it's evil. And, and you like read that and you know anything about real-time bidding and you're like, just burn it, just burn, you know, print this out on a paper and burn it. You, you should not be writing about this stuff. So- Yeah, those generalists, they definitely bring the whole profession down. Now, in terms of like the way that the press is um, handling Elon, like, yeah, definitely. I think the press is telling a story of Elon that's worse than what it is. But this is the thing that gets lost. in it often is like as a user, you can tell like you can tell sometimes that the product is when you're so, using but the product a product a hot and it's mess diminished, for, for it was, no doubt it was a hot mess. But it's it's almost unusable now. And I'm, I'll just point to some of the decisions.
2: Oh, really? It's dramatically worse. What is it? What's yes. worse,
0: in your opinion? I think that all right. I'll just go back to the um, the coup with uh, in Russia with Prigozhin or the insurrection, mutiny, whatever you want to okay. call it. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to know who the reporters were on the ground in Russia. There's and no Ukraine. reporters on the
2: ground there. There are no reporters on the ground in Russia.
0: There, I mean, in, They're in they, legal
2: good reporter in yeah. Russia. They put in jail.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I know. We spoke about him on uh, last, last Wednesday's show. Yeah. Um, okay, but let, let me say, like, the people who are, like, you know, the reporters on the ground in Ukraine or the people who are actually reporting on this in the living, I, I wanted to see that blue Those check exist. next to them. Yeah, but it was much harder to figure out who they were. It took longer. It did. It was less useful. But,
2: but why, why do you think that's Twitter's fault?
0: because they removed the blue check mark from the all oh, uh, every reporter got it. Did and it used it's to like, be blue check sorry did you used to be blue check yeah i don't it doesn't matter okay. about me i'm oh, talking no, 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 of, no, i no, i don't look, care i think
2: that i do, i think yeah. i think what's interesting
0: is i think it's i think it's always interesting to call
2: out to try to identify our own biases even if we don't think that they impact us right because right. the thing that's that's um they they're real
0: i think they're very real so our biases uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You okay. you have a bias. So all right, let's all right, let's say even if that's the case, even if that's playing in here, like yeah, you do. Twitter is a news and information source. So I just want to know who's reporting, and I'm not going to say if I see a blue check mark next to them, I'm not saying I trust them. I, look, but I agree with you. The, the
2: argument yeah. is a good argument. I don't disagree with the argument. The but the counter argument, right? Which is, Twitter needs to figure out how to separate who is a real person from a bot. Mm-hmm. They have to do that. That's the only way to basically take Twitter to the next level. Otherwise, the fucking Anons and and doing it with the legacy blue check system was not working. It was not working. And so the idea, the big idea was, great, let's get the users to pay a little bit of money and then use that money to fund uh, making more money from the platform. And if we get all the users to do that, it will work. And that's an idea. That Mm -hmm. idea didn't work. No. Um, I assume, and 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 by the way, in the process, we can kill all these fucking blue checks that that Elon thinks is a bunch of stuck up little bitches. Which, you know, whatever. Uh so like, I, mean, I assume yeah. that they're going. They tried it, they failed. They're going to go try it again. I mean, if Elon is good at anything, it's trying it, failing, and doing it again. He's done that over and over and over and over again. He's he's good at that. Like he's he's learned how to do that better than almost anyone in the world. So like, I assume that's what's happening now. We'll see. I mean, maybe not, but he's also got a, you know, a workforce that massively destabilized. And I don't know how well they can execute relative to his needs. And now he has Zuck with his, you know, fucking beating him about the face. He's got, he's got a real hard road. Yes, he does. Challenging. Yeah. But I think the blue check thing was a risk potentially, you know, that they, 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 they took. Unclear if,
0: that will work out. There's so much better ways to have done it though. If they were trying to get to what your aim is, just connect a credit card, pay a cent. That's it. Sure. Look, I d- the eight dollar thing and the same blue check mark and the execution of it.
2: This is the thing. Mm-hmm. The 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 reality that we're discussing right now. Right. Versus the reality of actually building the product. So if we were at the company and we had access to all the data and we had access to all the things that's ever been tried. And we had the team, and we made the decisions that we made. I guarantee you, the difference between what we're talking about right now and what they have is the same difference between the Guardian writing about RTB and what we actually know the difference is. So we are morons relative to the person in the seat making the decision. And so when we have the conversation about, well, they could have just done it this way, generally, I have to take that with a huge fistful of salt. Yes. We are oh. the Guardian.
0: No, I disagree with that. I really no, do. I know you do. I do. But you're
2: wrong. We I, are the garden. I've been
0: inside a tech company also, so I understand the constraints that exist. But okay. you can also see, like at the end of the day, like you you are what you do, right? Like yes. you're you are, and, and that's the product that they produce. Like these it's are too the, early
2: to judge. Yes, anyone. Based on the consequences, the outcomes that they have
0: at Twitter, you mean?
2: Like Elon blew up four rockets, three or four rockets on the pad yeah. before he built like the most valuable company in the fucking world. Like, like the, the failures in the process are just part of the process. And so, like the for the fucking people in the stands to sit up there being like, Me, "Look at him fail!" Like, fuck that. That's bullshit. Like, like in and in, in like a few years, we can look back and we can say, "Oh." He's a failure. Great. In a few years, I'm happy to do that. But until then, I, I my belief is like it, it. It's just a bunch of fucking people in the stands yelling about shit they don't actually know about.
0: Okay, I think that like mm-hmm. saying Elon. So no, own no, no. It's podcast. okay. By the way, like Zach, like this is why we're here. Like you're on the show because I know we're going to have a good conversation. And on this show, I don't want any. Like we shouldn't hold back. Like we should have a real discussion about it when worry, it comes I, to this.
2: I don't know how to hold
0: back. I'm no, it's good. It, it's good. Much as I probably should learn how to do it. No, no. I mean, I'll do it in places other than this forum because
1: <laughs> this is
0: good. No, I'm enjoying this, right? So this shouldn't this be story. a conversation that's held behind closed door or being polite. Like, let's actually get to the heart of the matter. There's no other way to address it. So
2: that's yeah, the fun part. We'll on the
0: other, I'm just going to say one last thing about this. Then we go to the next thing or then I'll give you the last word. Then we go to the next thing, which is that like, if you're a user of a product and the product gets worse, you're totally within your rights to say I wish the product was not bad. Absolutely. Cool. I'm point of agreement.
2: If you're on that first SpaceX rocket,
0: <laughs> you are The, the, the going. company that put yeah. the
2: satellite on, I think there's a company that put the satellite in the third one. Yeah. It was the third or fourth, I don't remember which one it was, that that
0: blew up. They were very unhappy. Oh, you know who it was? It was Meta. <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> was Furious about it. Oh, this
2: is so meta. This is beautiful. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was. And maybe this all comes back to like Zuck was mad and Elon was like, suck it, bitch. That's how rockets work. And Zuck's <laughs> held that grudge ever since. I maybe mean, that's it. I sometimes that it's
0: the simplest explanation that makes that no Occam's sense.
2: Razor. Exactly. That's, that's fair. Yes, you're right. It was meta.
0: Beautiful. Zach coleus is with us. He's the managing partner at Collius Capital. First half, all about threads and Twitter. Second half, promise you'll be equally as good. We're going to talk a little bit about investing, a bit about what's real and what's not in AI, and then um, craziness in the ad tech world, which we know and love, and we'll talk about. Back right after this.
1: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days. All showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off.
2: From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors. I'm Laura Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week
0: as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. And we're back here on Big Technology Podcast with Zach Colias. He's the managing partner at Colias Capital. and in 2020, mid 2020, he tweeted this. The traditional J curve in early stage venture is currently non-existent. Usually companies without traction die early and winners take time. Over the last 5 years I have invested in 63 companies, so far only one has been a loss. One. Even the lowest performers get funded. There's so much money chasing companies right now, literally everything is getting funding. Any idiot with a checkbook, myself included in our sector, looks like a genius right now. We can argue about the cause and the potential outcome, but we can't argue that the beta only has one direction up. So here we are in 2023. The world has changed a little bit. So give yeah, us an update.
2: Yeah, yeah it's uh, we were we were oh man, it's so good. It was so easy. <laughs> I, I raised my last fund in 2021. Mm-hmm. And um, like literally it had been like it had been. Six years of fifty percent compounding IRR every year. I mean, and I mean, I looked like a genius. We all looked so smart. I ripped mm-hmm. my fund. It took three weeks to raise in Zoom. Only in never in only in Zoom. No in-person meetings. Three weeks. People were committing on the first call. Uh, it was like I it was, it was beautiful. Ah, so good. Yeah, we all looked so smart. Uh, it was great. Uh, yeah, it's like Wiley e. Coyote, you know, it's like, you know, it's running, 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 and then just ran off the cliff. And mm-hmm. now Wiley e. Coyote is like hanging in midair oh and we're God. all like, oh, <laughs> how far do we have to fall? But yeah. So, uh, we had one other company go out of business since then. So now I've got two, two dead, two dead bodies to my record. Um, but we, I mean, God, we're dodging bullets left and right, uh, I had a company that I was convinced was going to fail last fall that somehow managed to scrape together around and now they're they're doing okay but it was like it was a slog. Um I have another company right now that is fighting tooth and nail to stay alive um and it's it's challenging. Um and yeah, I mean the the funny I mean literally before Before the bear market began, you know, a year and a half ago, uh, I mean, I would I would have multiple exits a year and every company would effectively mark up every year. And, you know, now it's I haven't I haven't seen a carry check, new carry check uh, in a year and a half. Uh, Okay, And being, being a VC right now in a bear market is a much harder job. It's still A fraction as hard as being an entrepreneur, like being an entrepreneur is 10 times harder or more. It's so much harder. Your job's harder than being a VC. Like this job is not that hard. You can make it as hard as you want to. Like you can, like if you want to work 80 hours a week, you can, but it's, you don't have to. Um, uh, And there's diminishing returns, which a lot of people don't talk about in VC, but like it's still an easy job relative, but it's much harder than it was. Yeah. Back when everything went up. I mean, literally everything, every, yeah,
0: yeah. It's crazy. What do you mean there's diminishing returns?
2: Oh, so what happens in VC is that um, about 80% of that value in the job comes from about 20% of the work. And then anything you do beyond that, it's kind of like you're pushing a rope. And that's why you see so many VCs on Twitter and so many VCs writing Mm -hmm. thought pieces, which are actually garbage and doing stuff that like, they're kind of trying to get out in the the ecosystem to like raise their name recognition, but it's the value of it is de minimis because the real value comes from people who you've built relationships with over a long period of time that they trust you and they come to you first before they come to anyone else. And they're like, Hey, I got this thing. And you're like, Mm -hmm. great. Um, uh, Like, so for I'll give you an example. Uh, It'll play into our next segment. Um, So there's an entrepreneur uh, I had funded, uh, 2017, 2016, 2017, probably. Uh, and he built um AI for drive through restaurants. So, you know, you go to McDonald's and you're like, hey, I want a hamburger and fries. Mm-hmm. And uh, McDonald's bought the company. And it was a great outcome for everyone. We're all super happy. And then so in 2021, he's like, he gets free and he calls me up. He's like, I'm free. And I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> I'll, I, my check is here. You just tell me what the price is going to work out to be. And then in November of 21, he comes back to me. He's like, well, i okay, got good news and bad news. The good news is we raise a shit ton of money. The bad news is the price is crazy high. And I'm like, you're, you're a pro. I'm in. I said it was in. I'm in. Um, and so then during 2022, I was like, God, I'm an idiot. Like I top ticked <laughs> the market. Like my the first check from my new fund. My LPs are like, God, he's an idiot. Um, and then then the product came out in um, 20, uh this this last 2020 the end of 2022 so like you know 6 months ago and um <laughs> it's so good it's it's literally mm-hmm. LLM's generative AI for call centers so you know you oh. call the airline you call a hotel and it's better than a human demonstrably better than a human it literally like it speaks whatever language you speak it speaks at whatever speed you speak at it speaks whatever accent you need to speak in and it answers on the first ring so it can go from one to a million agents concurrently. So literally you call an airline, you're never going to wait on hold ever again. Waiting on hold will be like dialing a phone. Like we talk about dialing a phone. Like most kids don't even understand what that dialing a (laughs) phone means, but like, but literally like they're waiting on hold will be in the English language will be just as antiquated as dialing a phone in within a few years. Um, You'll never wait on hold again. And so it's like, like, and, and then the great part is, is like, like, that entrepreneur is so good. That company is going to be such a big outcome that like, you know, I didn't have to do a lot of work to get that, just have this relationship that I've had with that guy for over a decade and do the work in that process, um, to be in that position. Um, so so it's like one of the great things about VC is that you just, you're, you're effectively harvesting the, the, the labor that's been put in, in the previous years.
0: So one of the, um, So in the good times, right, you invested in these companies and they kind of, um, you know, they kept going and now it seems like, tell us a little bit about like what's going on now, like the companies that you funded during the good times, like, are they like, you know, kind of at the end of their runway and trying to raise again and struggling? Or are they like, if they batten down the hatches and laid off a bunch of people to get profitable and survive, what's the sort of state of startups right now?
2: I mean, all of the above. The good news is, is that like the majority of my portfolio generates a lot of cash. We do, I think we do north of, I think it's eight hundred million in revenue across all the companies in the portfolio now. Wow. Like it's just like it's a lot of money coming through those companies. So like the the vast majority of them, at least from a revenue perspective, are are doing fine. They've just had to batten down the hashes and they've they found that the growth has slowed, and and as they as their growth has slowed, they've had to cut back and stop spending as much. So then their growth has slowed more. So that feedback loop, and then all the other companies in the ecosystem are doing the same thing. And a lot of I sell I invest in B2B software companies. And so they largely will often sell to other startups. And and so you've seen this sort of like sort of like. Feedback loops on feedback loops, which is that like companies stop spending on growth, so they stop growing, and then they stop spending on software from other people, so then they stop buying, and then vice versa. And so the whole ecosystem has basically deflated as a result of no more free money in the ecosystem. Growth has slowed down. That's you know that's normal. That's part of what a bear market is. It, It 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 weeds out a lot of the companies that were playing company and pretending to be real things, and then it weeds out a lot of these companies a shit ton of these companies that the VCs were funding with a bunch of dumb money and that were, that were all just fueled by dumb money. And those companies are going out of business. Mm -hmm. Thankfully I don't invest in that shit. So like I'm not getting hit yet with that, but the whole ecosystem is getting hit. And so everything is going down. And so, you know, the companies of mine that are, um, that have not yet found revenue at scale, they're, they're in a tough spot. Like they, what happens, they have to find product market fit mm-hmm. or
0: they they die. Um, and what about the markdowns? Like, is that also becoming a thing that oh, a yeah. lot of the companies yeah. that
2: you're yep. working on are doing? Yep. We have a company that that did a markdown recently. Um, you know, that's at the end of the day, there's a couple different ways it can work out. One way is is you can have what's called a pay-to-play situation. The way a pay to play works is they go to all the investors and they're like, hey, guess what? You need to invest at this price. Usually it's a reasonable price. Uh, you need to invest X amount of money or your holdings will be diluted by 90%. So before you own 1% of the business, if you don't invest now in this round, pay to play, you're going to lose 90% of your, your your investment. So now you're going to own one-tenth of 1% of the business. Uh, massive dilution unless you invest. So there's pay to play. I haven't had a pay to play happen yet in my portfolio um thankfully thankfully they're in good shape but like i it could happen it's possible um mm-hmm. and then then you just have to re-underwrite the company you have to go in you look at how they're doing you talk to the you talk to the customers you talk to the team you're like okay do i want to re-underwrite this company at this price yes or no it's just a decision that gets made on the spot um and then you have down rounds which are company goes out and they try to raise money and the money that they're trying to raise is um, uh, at a lower price than they would have raised before. And the problem with down rounds is that you end up with this situation where the existing investors have an incentive to play chicken with the new investors. Mm-hmm. So I, a weird. I'll give you an example. We had a down round um, uh, right at the beginning, actually, of 20, uh, 2022. So right at the beginning of the bear market. And... Uh, the, the founder had gone out and tried to raise money and tried to raise money and failed, 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 failed. And he was on bad terms with his existing investors. It was a kind of a weird, weird, weird dynamic. And the new investor comes in and's it's like, I want to invest in the company, but as soon as you have bad terms with your existing investors, fuck them. I want them to take a 90% write down. Wow. Um, so a total cram down of existing investors and the existing investors were like, Hmm, fuck it. Shut it down just shut down the whole business. They're playing chicken because they knew that they could get a better deal than that. That that and, but, but their leverage was to just shut down the whole business. And mm-hmm. so the entrepreneur calls me up and it's like literally crying, like, ah, this is bad. What the fuck? Like, I'm, I'm trying to save the company here. And I'm like, dude, this is a negotiating posture. This is how it's going to work. And then the new investor is like, why am I even bothering with this? Like, what are you doing? And I'm, I'm a reasonably big size shareholder in this company. I I mean, I have maybe like 500 invested in this company. And so like, it's enough that I care. So, and I call the existing investor. Wait, how like, much hey, invested?
0: What's that? How much did you have invested in it? 500K. Okay. Yeah.
2: Um, so like, it's enough that like.
0: You don't I want to lose that. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, it's my job, right? Like, right. You know, the current the current portfolio is about a hundred million of deployed capital. Um. So, like, I have to spend my time accordingly, and you you want to spend it on the winners, not the losers. And so, you you know, when there's a write off occurring, you just that is what it is. So, so in this instance, I go to the existing investor. I'm like, hey, there's got to be a way we can work this out, and. So this ends up being six weeks of phone calls between these three parties with me being the mediator trying to get this thing sorted out. And of course, it sorted out exactly where you thought it would, like at a, a, a middle ground that's fair that everyone was happy with. And we all took some dilution and the new investor got to dilute us and uh, everything got sorted out. And now the company seems to be doing okay. But like these, these down rounds are like just incredibly time consuming. Like it's yeah. just a real because because this chicken that gets played between the existing investor and the new investor the the leverage that they both have is simply to be a stick in the mud to and so then you end up with this very complicated dynamic that's very time consuming and 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 so when that happens it's yeah, it's painful very painful
0: now. I wonder a little bit about AI because like there's been this moment and we spoke about this with Elliot Brown last week, but there's been this moment where like people say AI and all of a sudden it seems like it's brought back like the roaring, you know, 2020, right? Yeah, and yeah, now yeah, it's yeah. like, well, how much of this is actually investable? There's been reports that like actually interest in chat GPT is going down. I had it on Google trends. Some people had it on like the actual web traffic to this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of curious, like, are you seeing, so you mentioned the call center Uh, application that's very interesting yeah Yeah. are you seeing like real and practical uses of this latest wave of generative ai and can you share a few examples
2: yeah yeah no i mean i'm I'm, i've seen quite a few I, i i'm i'm a real believer in um what i'm seeing um it's not perfect it's not magic it doesn't it doesn't solve all the world's problems and it won't invent you know an endless tub of ice cream that we can always have just sitting in front of us it's just automatically replenishes not yet anyway um but it doesn't it is powerful so for instance i have another company in the uh, business process outsourcing space so they basically they take things that were done by humans in the philippines and in india before and they automate them and it's like it's better it's demonstrably better than what they were getting before it's cheaper it's faster do they automate um they're not very public so i'm not gonna okay i'm
0: not gonna like i used to report on this company um Oh, what's it called? No, name's escaping me right now. But okay. it's uh, they they yeah they did robotic process automation. Is it similar to that type of stuff?
2: Similar in a way. It's different. This is this is different in its own way. But they're but yeah, there's there's some similarities. But but the end the end result is is that AI makes that better. You know, for the call center thing, AI makes that better. Mm-hmm. Um, for uh, I have another company called Fireflies. You might know they do mm-hmm. um, uh, they do your zoom calls, they basically transcribe your zoom calls and they turn them into action items. And, and I mean, fireflies is, I mean, AI has made, they got early access to GPT-4 and mm. I mean, God, that product got, it was already good and it got really good. Like people are, if you're not using fireflies right now for your zoom calls, you're making a mistake.
0: So wait, what does it do? It just transcribes and then gives you like some notes and action items.
2: Yeah. So it, it transcribes the entire call, figures out what you discussed and then creates all of your follow-ups and action items and it can push information into your CRM. Like it does. It's, I mean, if you're, if you're a professional and you're doing calls that have anything that you need to keep track of and you're not using Fireflies, you are literally making a mistake.
0: Yeah. The company that I I was thinking of again is UiPath.
2: Um, Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Romanian company. Amazing company. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, No, no, no. UiPath is great. Um, But AI has taken that whole market. And like that and and really dramatically increase the performance of the products, and so if you think about that at the end of the day, like all software products are is they're like tools to help people do their jobs better, and when you make those tools better, then people can basically get better outcomes and they become more efficient, and the world becomes a better place and so broadly, I think ai is um it's a big, big monster awesome trend. And we're seeing we're seeing a lot of consequences Um, when it comes to like the consumer use case, like ChatGPT as a consumer use case. I still prefer to search and read the source materials versus like go just ask the question of ChatGPT. I find the answers are kind of like they're, they're kind of like they're weak. They're just they're just sort of soft and they're not they don't have an edge to them that I find interesting. And I don't understand the conflicts between the various different positions on a subject. It's just like, oh, here's the answer. And then you go read the source material and you're like, well, eh, it might be the answer. But it's it just seems like it's sort of the mismatch center. Like it's just like take all this mash it together and come up with the most probabilistically sort of vanilla answer we can get. So I I have not found chat GPT has not become like one of my main go to sources, but that's just me personally. Um, And I'm not a consumer investor, so I don't have a good sense of like where consumers are thinking about it from a personal use case.
0: Yeah. And it's just one of those stories where the data is also just like very instructive, I think, in terms of like, all right, well, less people visiting. I mean, I know they did release an app, but I don't see it very high in the app store. So Um, where are you on product? I mean, you're doing AI business software. Where are you in terms of like productivity and jobs? Do you think that this is going to be something that helps create jobs? Or well,
2: I mean, take the call center one. Right. It's a good example. Um when that happens, the pace that it will happen at will be so fast. I, I, I think it will be massively destabilizing. Like mm-hmm. so think about if you're an airline and when when you know when United rolls out, you know, this company's solution, um, any other airline that doesn't have it within twelve months is gonna be like they're screwed. I mean, I, are, I'm not going to do business with an airline that doesn't answer on the first ring. Mm-hmm. Like, and like, I get that now because of status. And like, when I have to deal with that airline that doesn't have that, I'm like, ah, I can't handle this. Um, yeah. And so now every airline will be able to provide first ring better than a human AI call center. So they're all going to change very rapidly, right? They're all going to switch. And all those jobs are going to disappear overnight. Like, I mean, you're 90% of those jobs give or take, will, will, will be eliminated. And when you do that across all the call centers in the world,
0: it's very destabilizing, very destabilizing. So what happens to society in that case?
2: I I mean, look, long-term, I think the, oh, these tools make us more productive and it increases economic benefit and everyone's going to be happy. Short-term, that's the problem is that like technology now is speeding up the rate of, of disruption and destabilization and, I don't think people handle that. Humans don't handle these things well. They no. go fucking crazy. And so, like, when you take all the call centers in the Philippines and you lay them all off all at once, that's going to be a big problem.
0: Yeah. So, when you read Mark Entry, since Will AI Save the World essay?
2: Well, it, he, he's he got it. At the end of the day, do I want a world where we create things like AI to make us more productive and smarter? Yes. Is it? Do I do I think most of the doomers are idiots? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I largely align with Mark Andreessen, but at the end of the day, like there's nuance in the middle. Am I afraid of the consequences of AI in terms of destabilizing human systems? Absolutely. Am I afraid of AGI in the long term? Yeah, I, it's not a zero. Like mm-hmm. there's real risk of like long term long term AI. Cataclysm—that's that's 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 not zero. And like two or three years ago, before you know, we came out with LLMs and generative AI, the number was a fraction of what it is now in terms of like that risk number. And you know, on the other hand, humans are just so stupid that like if you leave (laughs) us to our own devices, like we—I'm more scared of humans and nuclear war and global catastrophe as a result of the way that we treat this planet than I am. That much more scared of that than I am of of, of, of AGI destroying all the humans. So therefore we either, we have to, we have to become smarter or we're going to destroy ourselves because we're so stupid.
0: Yeah. I'm in the same camp. Um, Okay. So let's talk about media math. Media math is one of the the most important ad tech companies, I think of the last 10 years. um, And they just completely went bankrupt and they're shutting down. And it's just an interesting story to me because like the way I think about it, if, media math can't make it then nobody can make it so
2: well that's not true trade desk is a, a large viable is doing well. public company yeah they're but they are the only survivor really from that well there's there's there's, there's trade desk mm-hmm. i mean at the end of the day like the the, the like what happened to my company Trig-It, was the very beginning of the emergence of this sort of like duopoly or triopoly which is facebook google and um and i guess amazon They just they just crushed the the open ecosystem and they 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 they, you if you're an advertiser you have to work with them and if you were a you know supplier of tools for advertising on the open ecosystem um, you got you got your ass handed to you. Trade Desk has done very well to to navigate that and they built a big business, but otherwise everyone else is dead. So what do you unless you do unless you do you play in the sort of gray areas. There's lots of money to be made in the gray areas. Like if you're if you're comfortable with ethically and morally unclear things, then there's plenty
0: of money to be made in those areas. Yeah. So, what are the um un- morally unclear things?
2: Oh well, I mean, if you want to advertise products that Google won't let you advertise, Google won't take your money. There's people who will take your money, mm-hmm. like, and so there's if you're if you're willing to use tactics and strategies that Google or Facebook is uncomfortable with to, 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 to get users to engage with ads. And there's lots of ways to do that. In the old days it was pop-ups and pop owners and, and, and it was uh, spam and there's lots of ways to advertise in ways that are ethically and morally dubious, but that make a lot of money. Um, There's advertisers who will be more than happy to fund uh, those ads. There's lots of ways to make money in the ad ecosystem. Um, just, you know, are you building equity value in those businesses? No, but you can put a lot of cash in your
0: pockets. Yeah. I have friends who have big yachts from that shit. Right. What do you think happened with MediaMath in particular? Was it just that there was only room for one or were there strategic mistakes there?
2: Uh, I, I think the, um, it's it was a challenging, it, look, if the ecosystem had stayed open I think a lot of us would have succeeded and done well and had great outcomes. Mm -hmm. When the ecosystem became closed, the number of chairs in the game of musical chairs evaporated and it was, became very challenging. Like remember the beginning, the beginning days of those of us who were the sort of original DSPs. So there was media math, there was turn,
0: there was data zoo. um, There was trade desk. And for those who are listening, that's the systems that you would buy ads with.
2: Yeah. So, these, so MediaMath is what's known as a demand-side platform. It's a tool for advertisers to buy ads out across the ecosystem. Um, and when it first came out, back when... So we all kind of built on this concept of real-time bidding being sort of a, a way to buy and sell advertising. And we we all some some came before that some and pivoted into it some of some of us kind of pivoted into that once we saw that but like that was sort of the sort of the the gun the starting gun going off to become sort of the the future of the open advertising ecosystem and we all kind of bet on that and so in the beginning there was um, this group of us who were who were there invite they were they were smart super smart they got bought right away for a nice outcome and then they went to go build a multi billion dollar business so like those guys are. Great. Awesome. And then of the bunch of us, MediaMath was really the only one left uh, besides TradeDesk. Mm-hmm. Now, now, a bunch of new entrants have come in subsequently and that market has remained uh, a very hot mess in a lot of different ways, but um,
0: yeah. So it's largely the, when you say open and close, so it's largely just the big tech companies that came in and closed the the ecosystem effectively. We went apps and they figured out how to do the monetization there and that's what happened.
2: Well, so for instance, with Facebook, um, before Facebook went public, they missed their Q4 because their ad platform was complete garbage. Like mm-hmm. they had, they had designed it wrong. And they, they at that point in time, um, and there's a great book by this, Antonio Garcia Martinez wrote Chaos this book, Monkeys. Chaos Monkeys, about yeah. this whole journey. And, we, and he wrote about, we were in that, about part of this whole process. He, he wrote the book. It's a good book. And but what happened was is they missed their Q4 because they had built their ad platform wrong. They just didn't just didn't understand how to how to build it the way it should have been. And then they um, Zuck goes to the ads team and he's like, guys, what are we going to do? And he's like, give me your bet ten best ideas. And one of the ideas uh, was to open up the Facebook ecosystem to allow independent companies to av- manage the advertising and target the advertising on Facebook for mm-hmm. advertisers. And so. Um, Zuck said to the ads team, great, do all your ideas. And that was one of them. And so then the ads team came to companies like us and were like, hey, you guys want to buy ads on Facebook? So it's an open ecosystem. And it, like we were allowed to participate in that in that ecosystem. And we were like, absolutely. <laughs> we're there with bells on. And, you know, my business went, we, we made it work. Like literally the, the click-through rates when we were first advertising uh, on Facebook. So before we got in there, they were lucky to get one click for every 3000 ads. If so you mm-hmm. run 3000 ads, you get one click. And they were making pennies per 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 1000 ads as a result. We were able to 100x that. Literally 100 times more efficient and effective. And so instead of getting one click for every 3000 ads, we were getting 30 clicks for every ad. Like we cr- crushing because mm-hmm. we had We had built good tools that targeted the right ads to the right people at the right time for things that they wanted. So you go to Booking.com and you're looking for a hotel in Sao Paulo. And we were like, hey, here's a hotel in Sao Paulo. Here's the price. Here's the dates you're looking for. And people clicked on those and they bought those. And so the ad prices that we were able to pay Facebook went up by a dramatic number. So now... Facebook sees this and their ads start to take off. Their business starts to take off. And they're like, holy shit, this is how we do it. And so then there's this big meeting that happened between Cheryl and the ads team. I don't think Zuck was there, but there's a big group of them They get together and they're like, okay, do we stay open and let all these independent providers buy media for the advertisers? Or do we fuck all those guys, build Mm -hmm. the tools ourselves and close and go direct so the advertisers have to buy from us directly? They chose to go direct and to become a closed ecosystem. So I have a scar across my belly from one side (laughs) to the other from getting gutted by Facebook as a result of that decision. Uh, And my business, I mean, we literally went from a million in revenue to 30 million in revenue in 12 months. And we had 300 million in revenue on the books. Like we were like, we would have blown it out Mm -hmm. if they had stayed open, but they went the other direction was that them. and so the, the whole ecosystem has largely done that so Google has done that Facebook has done that Amazon has done that they've all kind of become very closed
0: mm-hmm. okay, last question for you still living in San Francisco
2: I am currently still in San Francisco
0: No Miami plans on the books.
2: Oh no no Miami's <laughs> never been my jam um,
0: yeah.
2: I mean I'm I'm deeply 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 frustrated with this city. I'm mm-hmm. deeply frustrated by the idiocy that they have driven the city into the ground. Um, it's choppy right now. There's 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 hints of of goodness again, and it's they're cleaning up. They're doing a good job cleaning up parts of it, but like I mean, they they literally destroyed this city, and it's going to mm-hmm. take years, years to grind our way through this. Um, the big the big question for me is what happens in the next election. Like if the voters of San Francisco are like, oh, we want more of this. I've become very depressed and dispirited. If yep. the voters of San Francisco are like, okay, enough of this. Let's get rid of these idiots that like, are just like, I mean, these, 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 these. there's ideologues run the city and they just do stupid things after stupid thing, after stupid thing. And it's like the voters, they, they put up with more of this and
0: mm-hmm. yeah. It's going to be bad. Well, I'll be there in 10 days. So maybe you and I can have oh, yeah. a coffee. It'd be nice to see you in person.
2: Come have, come have coffee in my, in my hood and we'll, I'll show you, uh, I'll show you around.
0: That'd be great. Zach, yeah. thanks so much for joining. Great to see you. Oh, my pleasure. Great to see you too. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Nate Guatini, for handling the audio, LinkedIn, for having me as part of your podcast network. And once again, to all of you, the listeners, if you've been listening for a while, want to give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, that would be awesome. If you're a new listener and want to hit subscribe, we do these flagship interviews every Wednesday, and then we break down the news on Friday. On Friday, Ranjan, Ra- Ranjan Roy is back with us. We're going to cover everything that's happened this week. You don't want to miss it. All right. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on Big Technology Podcast.